Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Ludicky, and thank you for joining us today. Before we begin with our guest, I just want to say that we have a lot going on at HockeyJournal.com. Check us out, become a subscriber, and get access to our exclusive content covering hockey at all levels throughout the region and beyond. The RinkWise podcast is always free. You can subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our website, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Joining us via Zoom today is Mark Dennehy, Chief Amateur Scout, New Jersey Devils. We're so glad to have you on the New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcast, Mark. Uh, thank you for joining us. And how's everything gone for you in the new hockey season in your new position? Uh, it's it's been great. It really has, Kirk. First of all, thanks for having me, and and uh, thanks to the New England Hockey Journal for uh, this podcast. Um, you know, really like the content you guys put up. Uh, uh, the the non digital. Uh, you've got the digital, and now you've got the audio. So uh, really happy to be a part of this. Things have gone pretty well. Um, you know, it, it's uh, as much as it's been a change, it's, it's almost been a homecoming as well because you cut your teeth as a college hockey coach, as a recruiter, and the only difference between uh, recruiting and, and scouting is they have to answer my calls now. So they're excited to hear from me. Everyone, first-rounders all the way through the seventh round are, are excited that, that we're in the rink. That's, I mean, that that's really, I think, one of the fascinating things about about the the path you're in, the the job you're in, is that that it's it's so similar to what you did uh, at, at Merrimack as a recruiter, but but at the same time, I mean, it's NHL, and so uh, I would imagine you do get uh, different uh, interest uh, levels uh, a lot of the time, and with the people you're dealing with these days. You know what, hockey? I always thought sports make the world a smaller place, and and. Uh... You know, you don't need uh, the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon to connect people in the hockey world. So uh, the neat part for me is I'm expanding my sort of recruiting base. Um, You know, we've got three scouts in Russia, three scouts in Europe, uh, three in Western Canada, um, three throughout the United States. So I really feel like, uh, you know, I'm getting my tentacles all around the world. And as much as maybe I thought I I knew the the hockey world, um, you know, Scouting at the NHL level is really uh, global. Yeah, absolutely, and you, you hit on it. I mean, if, if you think that you know everything or you've learned everything, it's probably time to find a different uh, different line of work because there's always so much you can you can learn and, and grow from in the game of hockey. That, you know what? And and one of the things that that as, as this change uh, or or pivot kind of became available, one of the things I thought um, was don't ever be too old to embrace change. You know. Um, young people embrace it quickly. Uh, they, they seek it almost. Um, so a little bit of a change of pace for me going from coaching for the last 25 years, even though I recruited at the collegiate level to primarily scouting. Um, but it's been exciting. Yeah, great. So on that note, let's uh, let's don't jump in and and talk about your your own path and 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 how you developed and how you got into hockey and and, and how it led you to having the opportunity to become a, a coach at the higher levels. Yeah, you know, really, uh, I would say modest uh, beginning. Um, you know, there were back when I was in youth hockey, there were actually two 
town teams in Dorchester. There was Neponset and there was Dorchester Lower Mills, DLM. Um, you know, my parents, uh, my mom in particular, put me in hockey, uh, you know, A, to, to keep me off the corner, um, to, to B, to make some friends. And then one of the things that I think is really important about sports is it can, it's a great teacher of life lessons. Uh, whether it's uh, perseverance, whether it's discipline, whether it's teamwork. Uh, and, and so those were real. That was the why. Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. One of my favorite books is, is by Simon Sinek. It's called Start With Why. And, and the gist of it is whatever you do, if your why is good, uh, as long as you're putting the work in, you're going to see results. And so my parents' why was, was I think, great. And, uh, you know, I learned discipline. I learned perseverance, made a bunch of friends through hockey. So I started in the Ponset, uh, played youth hockey all the way through, uh, town hockey uh, all the way through. Ended up going to – actually, I played, I played high school hockey in the seventh and eighth grade. I went to Boston Latin Academy, and uh, I wasn't smart enough at the time to get into Boston Latin, I guess, although my brother Michael did. Uh, played at Boston Latin Academy, so played two years of varsity hockey before ever going to, to, to high school. And then uh, went from there to BC High, had a, a, a great experience at BC High. I'm still uh, somewhat involved with the school. Um, you know, John Flaherty's doing a great job there. Um, you know, I met some of the, the best friends uh, of my life there. Uh, was teammates and classmates with Mike Sullivan, who uh, obviously uh, needs no introduction into the hockey world. It, it's pretty neat. Um, so Mike is coaching at Pittsburgh. Peter Hughes, I believe, is coaching in at Kansas State baseball. He coached um, uh, Virginia Tech baseball, and he also coached um, uh, Oklahoma baseball at one point. And, and Paul Carey, who uh, was a heck of a baseball player, um, he, I believe he's coaching AAA baseball down in Texas. So to have four guys uh, from our class uh, in coaching is pretty neat. Um, went from there to Deerfield Academy for a year. Uh, played for Jay Moorsman, who just a wonderful man, um, great storyteller, um, you know, uh, someone who was less about X's and O's and more about uh, giving you a reason to want to play for him. Uh, and then was lucky enough to go from there to Boston College. I played for the, uh, uh, the, the famous uh, Len Siglarski, who at the time was the winningest coach in all Division One college hockey. Had some great teammates. And um, so, you know, I would say pretty much stayed provincial, you know, stayed within the New England barriers. Uh, it wasn't until I got into college coaching that I really kind of spread my wings uh, and, and uh, experienced the rest of the, the hockey world. So you talk about Coach Morsman and, and, and Coaches Seglarski. Let's, let's tell me more about them and, and how did they, their methods and their wisdom influence and shape you as a player, which then you were able to maybe adopt some of those methods uh, in, in, in your coaching? Uh, when yeah, you, you know, uh, those two guys were, were great coaches. I would say the probably the biggest influence on me, though, was a guy by the name of John Conniff. Uh John is from South Boston. Um, started playing hockey at 14 years old and I think is the last two-time back-to-back Beanpot MVP class of 67 at Boston College. Um, funny story, my dad was a printer, and John had a hockey school. He, Bob O'Connell, and Mike O'Connell, um, who run the Pro-Am organization. And uh, actually, uh, Eric and Jamie Siemens were, were, were also campers at John Cunniff Hockey School. Right. That's where we first met. 
And um, my dad, in exchange for free a free week of camp, would print the brochures. So, um, you know, I really – I had John at a young age, whereas I had Coach Morsman and Coach Siglowski a little bit older. You know, if you look at the American development model, they look at that skill development window – um, you know, between the ages of eight and maybe 14 years old is really when you develop your skill. And John was an early adopter of a lot of Russian principles. It was a lot of skill work, uh, a lot of plyometrics off the ice. Um, but I think the thing with Coach Conniff that that you saw the most was passion. You know, I remember going to a game. He he was it was the Cape Cod Freedoms in Bourne. It was a, a, a semi-pro team in Cape Cod. He was the leading scorer, the captain, the coach, and the general manager of this team. Um, he would then go on to coach uh, uh, the Boston Bruins at one right. point. He coached uh, the New Jersey Devils uh, and, and stayed pretty much in the New Jersey Devils organization. I think he and, and uh, Lou Lamorello were sort of kindred spirits. Um, so I really got my passion for hockey with Coach Conniff. Um, Coach Morsman taught me a lot about, uh, uh, we talked about the big lessons of sports. He would talk a lot about Frank Boyden, who was the, the headmaster at Deerfield for a number of years. We didn't talk a lot about X's and O's. You know, it, it was it was more about why you play. And, and uh, he was an easy guy to want to play for. Um, you know, and, and what I, with, with Coach Siglarski, you know, one of the things that, that, it's really hard to do is to let your teams play. You know, I, I think he, he was an excellent recruiter. Uh, you know, he coached uh, Cedar Chuck and at the time Joe Mallon. You know, we had some wagons there. And, uh, you know, he, he set a standard for how he wanted people to operate off the ice. Um, you know, there was a, a puck possession type uh, game that we wanted to play. And, and he let you play. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to him for the opportunity to have gone to Boston College. It's another point in my life that changed my life. You said something about, you know, just talking to Coach Morsman about, about things outside of hockey and, and, and that he wasn't X's and O's. How important is it to you as a, as a coach to keep that flow of communication with your players? It doesn't necessarily have to be about the games, but just have those relationships and forge those, help them forge their own identities in the game. Well, it's funny because I never would have thought I would have got into coaching, Kirk. I, I didn't. Um, you know, it, it it happened almost by accident. I was I was working for um, a company called Network Plus, which is now Granite Telecommunications, uh, for a guy by the name of Rob Hale, very successful businessman. Um, and it just wasn't for me. I, I you know I, I learned a lot about sales, but um, the telecommunications business was was it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to hire. I had a higher calling, or so I felt so. So I literally went back to, um, to to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Joe Mallon was the head coach there at the time. They had just reinstated the program in 1993. I went back to get my master's in education and to teach. Uh, started classes there uh, and talked to Coach Mallon. He asked me to, to, to be the volunteer assistant. I stepped foot on the ice. I withdrew from my classes and, and realized that, yeah, I did want to teach, but I felt that the best classroom was was the rink. And uh, the, the probably the, the best way I could have an impact on young people's lives was through coaching. Um, and I believe it. You know, I, I really I, I've always coached with a higher purpose. And, and it's not that, that I don't want to win. On the contrary, I think I think it leads to winning. I think if you're teaching the right principles that that uh, um, 
you're going to have an effect on people's lives and you're going to win hockey games. You're going to win championships. I actually, uh, I, I, I just read a quote uh, from the late Colin Powell. And I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Uh, leadership is solving problems. The day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you do not care. There's a famous saying that before they care what you think, they need to think you care. And, and um, that's always been my coaching philosophy. So, um, yeah, I want to win championships, no doubt about it. But the best organizations I've ever been a part of have been, uh, their culture has been one of inclusion. Yeah, the, I, you can't say enough about culture. And I think sometimes people get wrapped around the axle about the skills. And yes, obviously, you have to have the talent to be able to play at certain levels. But just in your experience, uh, I, I I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I have to think that your best teams uh, were the ones that had the strongest culture. Yeah, I, I do. I think it goes hand in hand, though. You, you, you know, you can't win the derby on a donkey. So you need to have a certain level of skill. There's no doubt about it. But when your best players uh, embrace how you want to play and, and, and how you want your team to, to behave both on and off the ice, um, they become uh, uh, leaders. Um, again, I'm a big fan of quotes, and I think it was Charles Woodson, the uh, famous cornerback, uh, uh, said, you know, it, it's way more important what's being said when the coach is not in the locker room than when he's there. Right. Most coaches are going to come in and they're going to give you some, some uh, good information. And there's a lot of good coaches out there. It's when the players buy in. Um, it, it's when you have skilled players and they're willing to, to, to buy in. They understand how you want to play and and they help you coach the rest of that team. So um, those have been the best teams I've had for sure. It's been strong cultures, but it's really it's been the players who have embraced it. Yeah, I, I think Woodson might have played with a guy. Ah, uh, Tom, Br- Tommy Brady. Sound sound familiar? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember who the coach there was at that time, but uh, you know, he must have been a pretty good coach because he had a, an impact on a lot of of great NFL players. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's funny. I was in a rink and I and I ran into a, a father whose son was on the Detroit Compuware, and he was actually a member. He was a linebacker on that on that Michi- on those Michigan teams with Woodson and wow. and Brady. And he said, you know, I don't know a lick about hockey, but you know, I, I was a football player, and I tried to get my son into football, and he just, you know, he didn't want any part of it. He wanted to be a hockey player. So it's 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 interesting to to see how those those paths are forming we talked about your your formative development i'm just curious the big bad bruins back then i mean did that have did that help fuel your passion for the game i mean you you told us why uh you you got into hockey but but how did the bruins maybe and what was going on with bobby Orr and phil esposito and jerry cheevers and all those guys how did that shape your development no doubt um we we had a a sort of a, a a theory um a hypothesis uh, when I was at UMass, the first go around, uh, it was sort of follow the cup. And if you look at the age groups uh, of, of Stanley Cup championship teams, so yes, the Bruins had a huge impact, not just on me, but on anybody that played during that era. I think they, I think Massachusetts built more rinks in Bobby Orr's era than they have before or since uh, in that eight, eight year window. Um, but if you look at the, the, you know, the mid 80 birth years in uh, in Long Island, the Mike Comasarics, the Chris Higgins, um, the, the the Eric Nystrom's. If you look at uh, the Pittsburgh age group when the Penguins were winning with Mario 
even LA when when Gretzky was there and they took a run at the cup if you look at those age the, the kids that were born in that era you're going to find good hockey players because it was the thing to do and there's no doubt that that uh, from 1966 to 1975, the thing to do was to watch the Big Bad Bruins, and I was a part of it. So, were you a were you a Bobby Orr guy? I, I take it you were. I mean, who who wasn't back then, right? Unequivocally, I wasn't gifted enough to just put one piece of tape on my stick, so I had to tape it up completely. But I did not wear socks on my skates until uh, I volunteered at UMass, and we shared a coach's room with John Calipari. And he was wondering what what stunk so much. So I had to put socks on at that point. And uh, and I have never, nor will I ever wear number four. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he was uh, he. I mean, he was he was one of a kind. And I think you know that's probably what gets lost on so many of the younger players. I mean, obviously they only they know what they know, right? But it just seemed like Bobby Orr was a transcendent figure, not only for the sport, for for this area, for the reasons you mentioned, and just the explosion that the sport enjoyed while he was here. Listen, it was a different game then. It's it, it's it's um, a much faster game now. Everybody can skate. Uh, he played a big part in making that happen. But when you think that his last full season, he led the NHL in scoring. When you think that in one single season he was plus 125. Right. I mean, those are ridiculous numbers. I, I you know, there's, a, there's always a debate who's the best, who's the best, who's the best, and you know. You can argue Gretzky, you can argue Lemieux, you can argue, you know, uh, uh, Karlamov, you know. I, I like the, the, what the, the sort of analogy I tell is there, there have been three players in the history of the NHL who have recorded 100 assists or more in a single season. Uh, Gretzky, Lemieux, and Bobby Orr. One of them's a defenseman, and two of them played when scoring was at all-time highs. Firewagon so, hockey. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you're going to be hard pressed to get me to to, uh, uh, to 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 be convinced of anyone besides Robert Gordon Orr. Yeah. Well, you you know you, you leveraged that in your success at the lower levels. You went to you went to Boston College. I mean, you had so many great teammates. I mean, we you know whether we're talking David Emma or Marty McGinnis, Bill Guerin, you know guys that went on to to, to pro careers in NHL and you know, are still involved. But what are some of the I guess the first question I would have for you is, is how was the transition? It was different back then. The develop model, development model was different. You didn't have junior hockey and the proliferation that it is now in this country. So most guys did. They played, played high school, they played prep, and then they went straight to college. But how did you feel when you transitioned from Deerfield to, to Boston College and, and, and facing the challenges of, of play at that level? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly almost ended up at, at – um, Babson College out of BC High. Uh, Pierre McGuire was a recruiter there at the time working for um, uh, Steve Sterling. Um, and I didn't get into a couple Ivy League schools that I was looking at. So even prep school, that extra year was not something that was widely used. So the fact that I took that extra year and went to prep school, really, it didn't, it wasn't an option for me until after. Uh, I didn't get into a couple of the schools that I was interested in. So, uh, but that extra year was incredibly useful. Um, the, the, the physical maturity for sure, the mental maturity, you know, you, you watch your friends who maybe aren't involved in sports, go to college and, and, and maybe have too much fun their first semester and, and have a little bit of an eye opening academically. Um, so you can live sort of vicariously through that. And the other reality was, Boston College's lineup changed quite a bit. You know, their, their 1987 team 
was a wagon. You know, I think they lost five guys to the Olympic team that year. You know, Kevin Stevens, Craig Janney, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Leach. Um, I think Timmy Sweeney was on the team then and, right. and, uh, and, and Greg Brown. Greg and Brown. it wasn't until the, the U.S. selection committee um, told Boston College that Greg Brown was probably going to make the team that, that they didn't never even look for, a, weren't looking for a defenseman. So you talk about fate. Um, you know, I had never heard from Boston College in terms of recruiting until February of my postgraduate year. Never got a letter, never had a phone call. Uh, and, and I'll never forget the late uh, Charlie Driscoll, former coach at Medford High. His son, Chris, and I were teammates at Deerfield. And uh, we were out at, at grabbing dinner after one of the games. And, and uh, Charlie said, you know, Mark, what would you say if Boston College offered you a scholarship? And I'm like, Charlie, that's not funny. Like, listen, I've got my schools. I'm looking at – and he goes, no. Nope. He says, uh, they're looking for a right shot D, and you're on their radar. Uh, and as luck would have it, I, I ended up taking an official visit and, and really liking it there. I think the – the how close it was uh, culturally to BC High, I've had a lot to do with it as well. Um, and then just their success as a program. So, um, no, it had a big impact, uh, you know. What I also got lucky with was because of that mass exodus, there were a lot of opportunities to play. Uh, I don't know that they were expecting me to play as much as I did. I think I played in every game freshman year. Um, I might have missed one or two for, me, for injury, but but uh, was not a healthy scratch. And that really set the table for me throughout my college career, uh, that freshman year. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that that we were a really young team. We had 10 freshmen there. Yeah, well, so – on, on along those lines, I mean, you guys made a run to the Frozen Four. You had you had a lot of those teams were successful. Ultimately, probably made didn't get exactly where you wanted to go. But what were some of the the fonder memories you had of, of that experience of being a student athlete, and how did that how did that help shape you for down the road when you were coaching players in similar situations? Yeah, you know, I, our first year was was there was a lot of adversity. First of all, um, Conti Forum hadn't been built yet. It was in the process of being built. So we were traveling. We didn't have any home games. We played either at Harvard uh, or, or Boston University. Um, we were young and um, really bottom heavy. And so it was a difficult year. We, we didn't win a lot of hockey games. I think we won 13 games that year, which was one of Coach Zygolarski's lower win totals in his career, which is incredibly humbling to think mm-hmm. for as long as he coached. Um, but the next year, with an influx of freshmen like Stevie Hines and Marty McGinnis and, and Joe Cleary, um, Timmy Sweeney really took on a leadership role as captain and, and was, was a great captain and probably the best all-around player I played with. Um, we took off. Uh, we went from a 13-win team to winning the hockey's regular season. Uh, and I think we we're on the cusp of beating Michigan State at Michigan State in the NCAA tournament, and Timmy sprained his ankle, and, and it went sideways for us. But um, that really changed the the, the dynamic of, of uh, my four years there. So we went from a 13-win team to winning three straight hockey's regular season championships, and in my junior year, we won the hockey's championship as well. I uh, went to the Frozen Four, lost to the eventual winners – uh, Wisconsin two to one. Um, they they had a pretty had a pretty good team. Uh, Gary Shuchuk, Johnny Bice, who ended up playing for Boston College. Um, 
And, so, the Bruins, it, and the Bruins briefly had that one goal in the Stanley Cup yeah. final, as I recall. Yep. Yeah, they, they had a really good team. But it was, you know, as with anything else, it's it's about the people, right? So uh, it is, as much fun as I had on the ice, uh, it's the friendships you make, um, you know, whether it's it's my, my college roommates, Jeff O'Neill and John Riley, who I'm still incredibly close with, Jason Rathbone. Um, I just saw David Franzos at the rink the other day, um, you know, he, Greg Brown's in coaching as well. So I see him, you know, all over the place. That's really the best part of it. it, it it's about the people, you know, you miss the ice, but you miss the locker room a lot more. I did not know you were roommates with Jeff O'Neill. His, his boy played for us out in Omaha and pretty, uh, pretty talented player in his own right. Can yeah, really Christian, <laughs> it, it, it's like a, it's like a throwback. I, I called him Oni 2.0. Um, Probably had a little more feel, although Jeff had 15 goals his junior year, which is really impressive. But similar type of players, just guys you didn't want to play against. Yeah, good skaters, get on you. Um, you know, when, when Jeff was forechecking you in practice, it was it was torture. Yeah, I had had some great conversations with him, and that leads perfect segue to my next my next question, which is okay. So you ended up in Princeton, his son Christian's in Princeton, Princeton as we know. But how how did that all uh, transpire for you? <laughs> I've been blessed. I really have, you know, I've, I've been around some great people. Um, and, and just the experiences I've had, I, I wouldn't trade for the world. So I volunteered two years for, for Joe, uh, Joe Mallon at, at UMass. Um, he, I'm very thankful. He got me into coaching and, and he, he gave me a lot for a guy who was just volunteering. Job opened up at, at Princeton university and, you know, put my name in there and, and, uh, a couple funny pieces to it. The first part is, so I get an interview and, and Don Toot Cahoon, who I was lucky to work with for eight years and was a big mentor of mine. Uh, you know, he said, I'd like to, I'd like to meet with you and, and talk hockey. So I'm thinking Princeton, they're going to send the jet, right? It's an Ivy League school. They're going to send the jet. We'll meet. We'll probably go to uh, some nice dining club and, and, and we'll talk hockey. Uh, he says, uh, yeah, do, do you know where the uh, the Dunkin' Donuts is in Revere across from uh, Suffolk Downs? Oh, yeah. So we spend three hours over crawlers and, and coffee, and if, if anybody knows Toot, um, there were a lot of crawlers uh, and a lot of coffee, um, but just really hit it off. Um, but it was funny because one of the things he said uh, during the interview process was, you know, I'm good friends with Steve Cedichuk, and I, I, I called Coach Cedichuk for a reference. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, uh-oh, I was not an easy player to coach. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot from, from Coach Cedarchuk uh, about how to play the game. But I was a guy that needed to know why. And I would push back and, and was not fun to coach. And when he said that, I thought to myself, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm not getting this job. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, he said, well, I talked to Coach Cedarchuk, and, and, and the one thing he said was, if I'm looking for a yes man, you're not my guy. <laughs> so I'm forever in Steve Cedarchuk's debt for getting the job because he wasn't looking for a yes man and I wasn't a yes man for sure. So, um, yeah, I was lucky. I, I, I jumped on board and Len Cannell, who's now with, with BU, uh, he and Toot uh, and, and John Henry, who, who I was replacing, had built an, a really good team. I mean a really good team. It ended up winning Princeton's first ever ECAC championship uh, an NCAA tournament bid uh, with the likes of Jeff Halpern, who went on to play 15 years in the NHL. He's now coaching with Tampa Bay. 
uh, Sill Apps, whose grandfather is one of the top 50 all-time players. Um, Stevie Sheriffs was an All-American out of the Dartmouth area, Hanover area. Big right shot D, uh, really good hands. Um, Scott Bertoli uh, from, from Ontario set records in the ECHL, uh, played a ton of American League hockey. Uh, Cass and Masters went from his senior year at Princeton right to the Canadian national team where he spent the year. And then our goaltender, Rasmo Saltarelli, um, spoke five languages. And he was the only goalie I've ever coached that when, I wouldn't say he got nervous, but when Puck started going in, he got further out of the net. Most goalies get a little bit deeper. <laughs> right, so right. They retreat I was to the really, I was really thankful to be a part of that group. I didn't recruit any of those guys. I really reaped the rewards of the work that had been done there by the by the previous coaches, um, but it was a fun group to coach, and I was there for three years. And like I said, we we uh, we went to the we went to the final five all three years and won it uh, in year two. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast will return after this message. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. If you love college hockey and want an inside look at the game, get a copy of the book, Great Game, D1 College Hockey, People, Places, Perspectives. From the emotions of Frozen Fours to the atmosphere and classic venues, Bruce Haas has captured the passion that people have for the college game through interviews with players, coaches, officials, and fans. No other book captures the spirit of college hockey like this does. Great Game makes a great gift for the holidays for a college hockey fan. Score your copy of Great Game today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Ataskabooks.com, or at your local bookstore. spent considerable time yeah, as an assistant you, you did have you did have uh you know the brief head coaching stint there before Merrimack but just before you got your first division one head job what what were your overall the biggest lessons you learned as an assistant that helped you to be a successful head coach well Toot, Toot is, a, is a great recruiter I mean he's a great motivator um, I, I like to, I told people, you know, if I had one game to win and I couldn't coach it, uh, Don Cahoon would be on the short list of people. Uh, he could just get teams ready to play. Um, but he had a lot of passion for recruiting. He knew, listen, you need good players. Um, and so that was something I definitely learned. Um, you know, I joined him again at UMass when he, he left Princeton and got the job there. And, um, you know, we got there in 2000 and, and, uh, 
by 04, we ended up going to the Hockey East Championship game and, and um, you know, triple overtime, uh, uh, just a, a great game. Jimmy Howard uh, and Gabe Weiner outdueling each other. Uh, so so I learned a lot about recruiting. Um, you know, Toot was very good at putting in just enough structure so that we were organized, but again, letting the players play. Um one of the things I really learned was just to pay attention to what I was doing and not be so focused on what's next. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of assistant coaches and, and I was guilty of this early on in my career were so worried about where I was going that I wasn't really focused on where I was. Um, and, and yeah, you need to pay attention to the landscape, you know, uh, college coaching or just coaching in general is, is a, a difficult occupation because it's not linear. It's not like you're working at IBM and you start as a sales rep and you become a, a sales manager and a VP and a senior VP. You're you're going all over the place. You're bouncing all over the place. I went from from a volunteer at UMass to Princeton to Fairfield to UMass to Merrimack. I, I would have never, you know, but it so you have to pay attention to the landscape, but you can't get caught up in it. If you do a good enough job, people will notice. And uh and I was lucky enough that, that Merrimack noticed in 2005. Uh, would you say that that is great advice for players as well? Don't look to the next thing before you master the level you're at and know what you are and, and be ready when, you're, when, you're t- when the time is right instead of rushing to failure. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it really is. I mean, if you're good enough, uh, you know, especially in New England, and I know this is, is, will be listened to across the, the, the globe, but you know, uh, it'll be a large New England obvious, uh, audience. This is the most sat- one of the most saturated hockey areas in the world. If you're good enough and you're playing here, someone will find you. Um, the best player I ever coached was from Paris, France. He didn't play in the EHF. He didn't play uh, for, for, you know, a, a, a junior, local junior team. He didn't go to academy. He played youth hockey in France and then was good enough to come over and play both in the North American League and, and, the, and the USHL. So concentrate on who you are, control what you can control, be the best player where you are, uh, and, and your path will become a little clearer. Tell us more about your French player and why he was, was so effective and what, what you would attribute his success to, why he was able to keep climbing those ladders despite coming from a non-traditional hockey country? So, so it was a point that I wanted to make earlier, right? Um, you look at, at Paul Carey, uh, who played baseball at Stanford, went on to sign with, I think it was the Orioles. Um, he was my defensive partner on the hockey team. He was a starting first baseman for the baseball team, um, went on to play college baseball. He played one season of high school football his sophomore year as a tight end and got letters, I think, from Notre Dame and, and Boston College. And, you know, back in the day, and I'm going to date myself now, hockey players were the best athletes in the group. So the, the, the hockey players, the better ones, were also the shortstops and the quarterbacks, right? right. They, lacrosse wasn't as big then as it is now. So what made Stefan DaCosta great? He was a great athlete. He was a great athlete. So – he played soccer, as most Europeans do. We had a good soccer team then. He could have played for the Merrimack soccer team as a striker. Okay, He played tennis. He actually beat the number two tennis player in a match uh, at, at Merrimack. The tennis program at Merrimack was an NCAA Division II participant. 
so you had an athlete and you know it, it's hard it's just hard today it's hard today uh, you know you there'll be no coach in New England that will tell uh, an athlete in any sport that they don't want multi-sport athletes. They'll all say it. My daughter's coaches all say, Oh, we want you to play other sports. The problem is sports, a season lasts so long. It used to go October to March. Now I think it starts on labor day or goes to Memorial day. And you're on the ice five, six times a week. How are you going to have time to play any other sports? It's really, it's, it's one of the quandaries. It's hard to do. So, you know, this sports specialization happens at such a young age now that we're not developing athletes. Um, you know, the, I look at, you can look at Sweden as an example for Massachusetts. Uh, Sweden and Massachusetts have roughly the same number of U18 male players. Um Sweden currently, I think, has 70 players in the NHL and two pro leagues that they run. I think uh, we have under 20 uh, in, coming from Massachusetts. So it, it's trying to create that, that athletic background um, because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's not just nature and it's not just nurture. It's a combination of both. But I'll tell you right now, if you don't have nature on your side, you're in trouble. And so we need to continue to develop athletes. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great topic. I mean, we could have dedicated the entire podcast to what you just, the ground you just covered, Mark. And I, I appreciate that because I've, we've heard that repeatedly from other coaches and, and guests we've had on the podcast who've all said the same thing. And I think, uh, I think it was Steve Jacobs that was talking about if you took the 10 of the best athletes from the towns around here, they're not all playing hockey. Um, but the ones that are, the ones that are, are are usually you know on the on the higher end, and and he was expressing the same concerns about the specialization and and how it just when we were all growing up, we were forced to get out. We we didn't play hockey year round. You didn't have ice year round. You know, and so you were playing baseball, you were playing soccer, um, swimming, football, whatever. And it just you know it is it's about the athletes. Great great points. Uh, so ex- your experience at, at Merrimack, and you were there a while, and you were able to build that program. But as you, you know, and things, all things come to an end, typically, especially in this business. But as you, as you moved on to the next level, what what drove that, and how prepared were you for the changes from moving from from coaching student athletes in college to the pro ranks? Yeah. So yeah. Listen, at the end of the day, coaches are hired to be fired. Um, you know, my staff and I left Merrimack with our heads high and our chests out, um, you know, not just what we were able to do on the ice, but the quality of the people we brought into that program. Um, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of these guys today and, and they're doing great things. Um, you know, just really lucky. You know, we talked about a little bit earlier that, that if you just concentrate on doing a good job, people will notice. Uh, and, and even though our record at times at Merrimack wasn't what we would have liked it to have been, I think people in the hockey world, hockey people, uh, understood the constraints we had, and and um, and put the job we did uh, at a high rate. So, you know, I, I when I, when I was let go, I reached out to some people in the hockey world, not sure about you know what I was going to do, and and one of the people I reached out to was a, an old uh, teammate and friend in Bill Garrett, and asked if I could just kind of take a trip out and see how things run. And, you know, uh, and he was wonderful, hosted me out there. We went to, I went to a playoff game, 
Uh, Sully was coaching. It was it was uh, a great experience for me. And it just so happened uh, that, that he had a job opening uh, a little bit later for the, the basically uh, the East Coast Hockey League team, which for you know, people that don't understand the minor leagues is is like double A ball. Um, the Wheeling Nailers. Now they actually they've moved a number of players to the NHL. I called Billy and, and Billy was great. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, he said, we, we've got a number of candidates, but, um, you know, I, I would move you to the front of the, the, the uh, line and um, ended up hiring me. Uh, really thankful. Um, went out, uh, you know, I, I got an apartment out there, um, went to a season ticket event, um, you know, was all set and excited to coach the Wheeling Nailers. And uh, as luck would have it, um, a job opened up in Binghamton. So uh, Rick Kowalski, who was coaching Bingham, the Binghamton Devils, was promoted to be one of John Hines' assistants. And Tom Fitzgerald called Billy and, and asked for permission to talk to me. Now, this is late in the year, and this is very um, – it's not common. So Billy called me and, and let me know, and I said uh, – you know, I remember the conversation. I said, Billy, listen, you know, you're one of the most loyal guys I've ever been around. Um, you gave me a job when I didn't have one. I'm not looking to leave. You know, I'm looking for some guidance here. And he didn't hesitate. He said, hey, if you've got a chance to coach in the American Hockey League, you got to go for that job. So uh, really in, in his debt for both hiring me and then also giving me the opportunity to interview uh, uh, Jim Rutherford, who was a GM at the time, uh, gave me his blessings as well. So very appreciative there. Uh, talked to, to, to Fitzy for a, a long time. Talked to uh, Ray Shiro and, and even John Hines and, and, and got the job. Um, very thankful to all of them. Uh, Fitzy's really been, uh, uh, great to me over the last three years. I've known him for a long time. The, the biggest difference is, uh, you know, when, when you're playing for your livelihood, um, there's a maturity that goes with it. Um, you know, you really coaching is about earning people's trust. And when there's dollars on the line, that trust at times can be harder to earn. So, you know, I'll never forget. I mean, the first six or seven games, I'm a little intimidated. There are guys that are playing in the NHL. I've played in the NHL that are down. Um, but at the end of the day, what I came to realize is it's hockey. And, you know, if you can help these players, and, and I, it doesn't matter whether you're male, female, uh, what ethnicity, if you can give a player information that's going to help them be better, at their craft, they'll listen to you. They'll earn, you'll, you can earn their trust. And it was a great experience for me. I'm very thankful. I worked with uh, Sergey Breland, who's a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, Ryan Parent, first-round draft pick in 09, played a number of years in the NHL. Brian Eklund um, uh, played for Tampa a little bit. Arch, Archbishop Williams and Brown. Uh, they, they were great and really supported me and let me make some mistakes early. But uh, – it was an unbelievable experience. And um, our second year there, uh, I think we started the season 9-17-4 and four and went on a 25-4-2 and two run. And I credit a lot of it to, to two of our veterans. Uh, we made some changes structurally. But again, if they didn't embrace it, we were done. And at the time, Corey Schneider was rehabbing. His, his, he had some injured hips. And our captain was Ben Street um, from Wisconsin. And I brought them in, explained them what we were doing, and made my pitch to the team. Schneids asked if he could talk to the team afterwards and basically said to them, guys, we're doing this. We're embracing this. 
Um, you know, it's, it's what we need to do to be a better team. And without that type of support, I don't care how good a coach you are, it's not happening. But it's hard to get that type of trust from pros because there's a lot on the line for these guys. So you you look at some of these players that you did coach, and they're now up up in the NHL. So what do you when you look at what they had that was able to get them there? Um, because I remember mine um, was Mark Recchi, as a matter of fact, said, you know, getting to the NHL is one thing. It's like staying there is is the hard part. Uh, so, uh, just some of the players you coached in Binghamton, uh, talk about why, why they're up in the NHL, what they had to do to get there and, and what they've done in your view to, to stay there from, as you've now observed them now is what they're doing. So really proud of the guys that have, that, that have gone up to start the season with the devils right now. I think we have seven guys that played with us two years ago that, that are playing in the NHL, um, uh, you know, I would say that the, the consistent qualities, again, you need skill. Right. It, it, you know, if you're not, if you can't skate in today's game, uh, then, then you better have some other dimensions that are off the charts, whether it's your big and strong with incredible hockey sense or, um, you know, your vision and hand skills are off the chart. But there are very few guys playing at the NHL level now who can't skate. Um, and that's why the game is so hard to, to be, you know, to, to be a difference maker because everybody can get around the rink. The two things I would say, once, once you, you, you put skill in, in the, the mix, um, I'll give you two examples. Uh, Mikey McLeod, who, who uh, is up with the big club right now, might be one of the best competitors I've ever coached. Um, you know, he, he, whether it's a face-off, whether it's a 50-50 puck, whether it's a goal mouth stand, um, uh, he, he lays it all on the line. And, uh, you know, he had a sort of a breakout season last year during COVID, uh, had nine games as a, nine goals as a rookie in 56 games. And uh, really was part of an energy line for us that uh, that played against the other team's best teams. So I would say compete for him was a big factor. And you see that a lot in players. The other thing, you look at uh, Igor Sharangovich. And and again, you can't look past the skill. He's got a a great shot, really uh, dangerous release. Um, I think he had 16 or 17 his rookie year last year. But the thing with him that's a differentiator is, is hockey sense. He's incredibly aware. And that was something we identified early on. And, and I would say our scouts did a great job of identifying before we even got him. He really thinks the game at a high level. Um, you know, I, 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 again, this is becoming an old comparison, but, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember we had an all, an all pro quarterback before Tom Brady, right? We had Drew Bledsoe, who arguably threw a better ball. Um, certainly a deep ball, a, a deep ball for sure. So, so what made Brady better? Um, and, and again, it's, you can argue about it, but I would say he's probably one of the best of all time, if not the best, it's his ability to process information, right? So the game's so fast, it's so chaotic. Um, you've got to break things down quickly and, and nobody's better at it or has been better at it than Tom Brady. And, and Shara has that similar quality. So, you know, once you've worked on your skills, whether it's skating, whether it's stick handling, whether it's shooting, passing, um, you know, compete, hockey sense. They're really hard. They're hard to develop. Um, but I think uh, they're two of the more important factors, and they're definitely things that we look for in athletes. Yeah, and you talk about the attributes, right? And I was going to – those, again, great points because I started with New England Hockey Journal in 1999, and, and I just remember – 
when you were going into rinks and you were watching players, there were a lot of guys that couldn't skate all that well. The, the, the number of players that actually were great skaters and had skills was was much smaller than it is now. So now you have to really look at the details and focus on the habits, don't you? You do. No. And, and that's that's the neat part when you get to the to the highest level. And, and I'll admit it, I'm a little bit of a pro hockey snob now because you see what some of these NHL guys and American Hockey League guys can do. It, it's incredible the, the amount of skill they have. So, so what are the differentiating factors? You know, it is those details, whether it's compete, whether it's hockey sense, whether it's stick detail. Um, you know, I watch an NHL game now and everybody, you know, sure, we all want to watch the highlights. We all want to watch the sauce and the top corners and the uh, spinoramas. And, and uh, Jack Hughes had an amazing goal the other night, he three did. on three, for the he game did. winner. But, but what I like to watch is you watch a penalty kill and you watch a guy like Nico uh, Heischer or uh, Patrice Bergeron, you watch their stick detail. You watch how they just influence where the puck goes by simply moving their stick one way or another. That, to me, is a sweet science. And, um, you know, you, you look at how long Patrice Bergeron's been able to play and how good he's been for so long. Um, you know, those are things that you can control as well. Uh, so I would say when you're watching a player of that caliber, Nico Heacher, uh, Jack Hughes, you know, it's it fun to watch the exciting stuff. Watch some of the subtleties uh, that they bring to the game because those are things that if you don't have, you're not going to be as as Rex said. It's it's hard to to hard enough to get there. It's even harder to stay. Yeah. So, was it hard for you? Was it hard for you to to make the decision to leave the coaching ranks and and do the and, and become the chief scout? Or is this a something that? I mean, I'm just curious how it all how it all count, came about and transpired for you. Well, again, I, I, I'm very indebted to Tom Fitzgerald and, and the whole New Jersey organization. But listen, I, I'm there because Fitzy gave me a shot, um, you know, and, and he talked Ray into hiring me and, and had a lot of faith in me. Um, you know, uh, to me, you can have no more faith than putting someone in charge of the development of their of their young players. Um, you know, he, he, he took over a little over a year ago um, on an interim status. And, uh, you know, when he talked to me a little bit about what his thoughts were, who am I, uh, you know, if he thinks I can help the organization more so in this capacity, uh, who am I to tell someone that gave me such a great opportunity? No, I think I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. Um, listen, I, I love coaching. Um, and, and, and who knows, someday, I never thought I'd be, uh, you know, chief scout for the New Jersey Devils. Who knows where I'll be in five years? Um, you know, I, I, I could go back to coaching. But I did miss team building as well. I missed getting on the road and seeing players. Those are things that you do as a collegiate coach. Um, So like I said, it's been a little bit of a homecoming. You're back in the rinks, back in some familiar rinks. I've been in some rinks that I've never been in before, whether it's in uh, uh, um, Bratislava or or, or Finland. Um, But I'm back in a lot of rinks that, that I haven't been in in a while, but I've been before. So it was a difficult choice. But uh, but the right one now, um, I, I think the right one for me, I think the right one, uh, Fitzy has a lot of faith in, in um, you know, that I can help this group um, that's already done such a good job even get better. I mean, our goal is to be the best amateur scouting staff in the NHL and whatever I can do to help us get there. Um, but in the meantime, I'm like I said, I'm I'm really broadening my horizons in terms of of. Uh, player assessment, player evaluations, contacts globally, uh, which is only going to make me better down the road. I have so many more questions 
unfortunately, <laughs> we're getting near the end. Uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about is your your legacy through the coaches that you've mentored. And I know you know one, a couple of them I'm I'm close to and have, have seen and they've talked how much of an in, positive influence you've had on them and their development. What are you most proud of when you look around us about and, and you look at some of these young players, these young coaches that came and, and you took them under your wing and they've gone on to higher levels as well. And, and, and you see the success they're having. Well, you know, I'm proudest of, of my daughters <laughs> and my, and my family, but um, you know, listen, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of great people, uh, you know, from, from Joe Mallon to Don Cahoon to, uh, to Darren Yopik, who I, I have yet to mention, who's with Seattle now as a scout and, um, you know, there's some young guys that I've worked with that I think are going to make great coaches. You know, I'm sure a couple of the guys, you know, and Troy Thibodeau and David Nyes. Um, Absolutely. I just, I'm, I'm really proud of the people they are, you know. Um, it, it's humbling when you're able to attract quality people, you know, um, guys that, that are, are really bright. Um, Curtis Carr is another guy that I'll throw out there. He's yeah. at Bowling Green now. I've worked with him. Glenn Stewart. I mean, I could go through a list of guys um, that aren't afraid to challenge you behind closed doors, uh, are smart enough um, that, that they, they, they'll they challenge you, they, they, they come with different ideas. But once a decision's made, um, you know, they understand what's best for the team and, and their team people. And um, But I, so, so I'm just really humbled by the, the quality of people I've been able to work with. Okay, well, this is this has been great. Can we tease just one rapid fire round out of you? Just some sure. quick questions. Okay, absolutely. Let's go, go ahead. ahead and do this. Thank you so much for the time. All right, it's time for our rapid fire hockey round. It's time for rapid fire. First question: Who was your favorite player growing up? Robert Gordon Orr. Okay, Paris Island, Ontario. Yeah, which teammate at any level did you most respect, and why? Oof. That's a hard one. Um, I had a lot of great teammates, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say Billy Garen, and, and and here's here's why. He's never changed. He's never changed who he's been. He's the same person now as he was as an 18 year old at Boston College. Um, you know, uh, he, he's going to give you everything he's got. Um, incredibly loyal, uh, hardworking. Um, and, and as a coach, you, you talk about, you know, you, you want to uh, make sure that you meet the, san- the standard before you hold other people accountable. And he answers the bell all the time. So I'll, I'll say BG. Okay. Rod Langway or Mark Howe? Wow. I was a big Rod Langway fan uh, uh, growing up as a kid. I love the two-sport factor. But, um, you know, in today's game, the way Mark Howe moved the puck uh, – you know, I'll say I'll say the modern day. You got to go with Mark Howe. Okay. Uh, last question: Paper or audio book? Ooh. Well, I'm gonna fudge this one because I travel so much now that uh, it's paper when I'm flying. It's audio when I'm driving. All right. Great answers, Coach. Mark Dennehy, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcast. All the best to you the rest of the season and uh, with your work uh, as you as you mentor and guide your staff towards the uh, NHL draft in Montreal. 
in July. Can't, can't thank you enough. Thank, thanks to uh, the Siemens Media Group and, uh, and, and keep doing great work, guys. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's Rink-Wise Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.